0: Okay, Good morning and welcome backwards to Bodhi Speak. I have with me Mabel Coughlin and Sarah Fikil. Okay. I've only known you for how long?
1: I don't know, eight years. years okay.
0: <laughs> you live across the street from me. Okay. Forgive me. I know your parents and I know all your kids. And, yep, uh, can't and Akiva. It. Can't pronounce. And Akiva is here. Who? My.
1: Nine weeks, son.
0: I the also old son. I also butchered his name, though, when he came in as well. <laughs> Akira. <laughs> Akira. Actually,
1: my friend has a dog named Akira. Uh
0: huh. <laughs> okay, so, uh, and you guys started a birthing collective called Catskills Birth Collective. And uh, before we even give your bios, can you just explain to me why it's a collective?
1: That's a great question. Um, I don't know if I have the best answer for you, but I think initially Mabel and I were envisioning there being various different birth workers included and jumping in and supporting our vision.
2: I also feel like it's not just about us. It is an offering that we're making, and part of the offering is to bring people in, to connect people with each other and to create this collective that is everyone who's participating like it, it is all of the collective it's not just me and Sarah and mm-hmm. whoever else is knowledgeable or leading things but it's everyone working together and learning together and growing together
0: so it's an egalitarian communal model sure okay I like uh I like that idea then there um okay so before we get too much more into that can you guys give me your bios
2: yeah, um, I'm Mabel. Um, we are both student midwives. We went to Indie Birth Midwifery School um, and postpartum care providers. I studied sort of Ayurvedic tradition postpartum care with the Center for Sacred Window Studies. Um, I have a two-year-old son who was born what, like six weeks, eight weeks after your son. I think so. Yeah. Um, we have our own podcast, which you have been on, uh-huh. um, Wise Birth Radio, and we're working on other educational offerings um, yeah and creating this collective
0: thank you for sharing and Sarah
1: yeah my name is Sarah I am first and foremost mother of four which I say that because it feels like it's taking up so much of my being recently Uh Um, and yes recently four, as I said my son is nine weeks old as of yesterday which is crazy it goes so fast on Thanksgiving
0: Yep. That's yeah. awesome. My sister was born on Thanksgiving as well.
1: Yeah? What's her, the November twenty?
0: I think she's the 25th. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, th- Thanksgiving changes each year. I know. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So his is the 23rd. Anyway. So yes. Mother of four home birth children. Um, as Mabel said, I went to Indie Birth midwifery School and took innate traditions. um Rochelle. Garcia Saliga um, is an incredible woman who created innate Traditions, which is an organization that kind of brings is bringing back a lot of the traditional ways of mothering, birthing, caring for women postpartum. So, yeah, I I got uh, my postpartum care provider training through her program, which is really powerful and beautiful. Mm. And let's see what else. Oh yes co-creator of our new birth course which is called wise woman sacred birth which we can talk about in a bit and I also help my husband run an organic farm up here in upstate New York and yeah if you hear breathing that is my child <laughs> sleeping on my chest
0: how did you come up with the name Akiva
1: I actually it came to me in a dream um, yeah, I had been, I names have always been tricky for me because I feel like they hold so much power and weight. And so um, with my third son, it took us a really long time to name him. And it was just, anyways, so this is my fourth pregnancy was the first time we found out the gender of the baby before uh-huh. the baby was born. Part of that for me was like, I wanted to know so I can pick the name.
3: Mm.
1: And um, yeah, so I just had a dream of this there was this elder kind of wizard looking cloaked man and he came and he just came close to me and stared me in the eyes and whispered the name Akiva to Mm. me. And I was like, okay. I woke up the next morning. I was like, Akiva, Akiva. And I looked it up and there's a famous rabbi, rabbi Akiva, Ah, um, who I didn't know anything about, but it also means like protector, shelter, things like that. Wow. Yeah, and it wasn't until after he was born and, like, learning some more about his astrology and his mind astrology that we felt like that was really a name for him. And also the name, the word Kiva is the name of, like, a certain type of temple that was used a lot in the southeast or, sorry, southwestern part of the United States by the native people there.
0: Mm -hmm. Like Uh, the Navajo or is it more like the Apache? I don't know know,
1: specifically. I just know, like, in that region. Okay. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's cool that it came to you kind of like in the opposite I thought that you had looked it up and specifically chosen like a Jewish name But it came to you in a dream and it turned out to be a Jewish name Especially considering everything that's happening right now in the Middle East. It's like really potent and that's like really beautiful story Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thank you Yeah, it sounds a little sometimes I feel a little cliche saying that cause like, But it was just like so clear
0: mm. Yeah, well that's kind of what's cool. I think about the process of childbirth and what you guys are trying to do um and this is definitely something like i've learned more secondhand from michelle and from all the women in the community but it's a very like mystical process it's a very transcendental shamanic totally um beyond the scientific rational world so things like that seem to actually make a lot of sense to me having listened to many of the women talk about it But it's funny because in the culture, it's become this very sterilized and clinical, institutional, like unempathetic type of thing. And so I feel like what you guys are trying to do is bring it back into more of the mysterious realm. At the same time, like when I've talked to you, I haven't heard you guys speak about it in like a mystical sense where it's like really woo woo and so on and so forth. But more like rooted in like nature Mm -hmm. and like indigenous culture and stuff like that. So, um, would you say that's an accurate interpretation of what you guys are doing?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I think the word that is coming up for me is just like transformational. Like there's Mm. such an opportunity for transformation on every level, on a spiritual level, on an emotional, mental, physical, generational. Um, yeah. Did you want to say something?
2: Yeah. One thing that, I mean, I love to talk about and I love to think about is just how, birth pregnancy it is on one hand like the most mundane normal thing in the world that's how everything comes into existence people have just been (laughs) doing it forever people are like you think about right in this moment i don't know how many people are giving birth but a lot of them and it's just part of the world and at the same time i don't even want to say on the other side because it is the same side it is this incredibly sacred spiritual connected amazing experience so Mm. it is both mundane and normal and it is incredible
0: could you say perhaps that that's because being a human being is just a normal boring thing that is also totally a spiritual thing at the same time and completely transcendental Mm -hmm. (laughs) cool okay so um can you guys talk a little bit about the program uh specifics and things that you are doing that are uh really progressive and are you're having a lot of success with and just that would be of interest to people to hear
2: Yeah, I think kind of along the same lines, something that you see, or at least something that I see, because I've seen a lot of birth content out there, is people are either on the one side of the fence of being totally like, birth is just a sacred experience, birth is just a spiritual experience, Mm. birth, you know, you need emotional support and guidance and you need to like work through your energetic blocks, but other than that, birth just works all the time. Mm. And then there's the other side, even people who are sort of more natural minded are like, Birth is kind of a little scary sometimes and things go wrong and you should take this prenatal vitamin and walk this many miles a day. And there's very little content that kind of bridges that gap to bring together, yes it is a spiritual experience, yes having this emotional preparation, energetic work is amazing and yes it is a physical experience and you need to prepare your body, you need to take care of your body. And sometimes in the world, things don't go the way I expect them to. Mm-hmm. And wherever there is life, there is the possibility of death or of things going wrong. Mm. And I think that one thing that's really important for me is just being transparent about that and not trying to, like, gloss over anything or paint pretty rainbow pictures.
4: Mm-hmm. Saying,
2: like, birth is amazing and things happen. Same with life. Life is amazing and things happen.
0: But you just uh, ask you a question about it, yeah. it's a relatively safe process. Yeah, I, I mean, sure that's, that's kind of like, I remember when Echelle was going through uh, the pregnancy the first time, I remember really um, vividly sitting down with Julia, her midwife, and she was asking me if I was concerned about anything. And like the thought came up, and I was just honest about it, where I was like, well, there's the fear that she could die going through this.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I remember feeling that way you know for people who are listening who know me that don't know we are expecting a baby girl in July Yay. you guys knew as a girl right she yeah just told me about. okay <laughs> so that's really awesome but um at this at this point i don't feel like afraid about it anymore it feels mm. like yeah she's going to be fine it's safe but i did feel like scared cuz i was just the whole process is intense so yeah. but you would agree that it is a safe process
2: I mean, nothing is ever safe, but statistically, you're probably going to be fine and the baby is probably going to be fine. Hmm. But there is, I mean, it is a huge portal and this moment between life and death is not something that we're comfortable with most of us, not something that we're experienced with. Mm -hmm. Like we don't see people be born. We don't see people die. It's kind of this thing that's really removed from our comfort zones. So I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, And something else that I really like to just sort of juggle around in my mind is that maybe for a lot of women, the fear of death comes from knowing that something will die. That when you become a mother or when you become a mother again, something will die. Something will break. Something will have to be released so you can step into the mother that you're becoming.
0: Even if it's just your own ego.
2: Yeah, whatever it is. Mm. Even if it's (laughs) just like tasks that you did before that now you can't or who you thought you were that now is not totally lining up.
0: Mm. Would you like to share some of the kind of the same question about like, what is some of the things you guys are doing? If you want to touch on the death and we'll we'll come to that too in a moment. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Death and rebirth, all that.
1: Yeah. I (laughs) mean, along the same lines of what Mabel was saying, but I think, yeah, I think what feels unique to me about this course is that we are providing support like in every one of those areas, like we're providing the, the very physiological, physical expectations, the, what kind of nutrition, what type of movement, things like that, but also, um, providing guidance and support for people to really dive into themselves and like do this deeper inner work of looking at their beliefs around birth and like, and their fears and, and providing support to release those and like really have a deeper introspective process, which, Mm. I think that's the the piece that me that, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it's like such a, the energy of birth is just so magnetic because there's such an opportunity for so many profound changes to be made. And I mean, it's a little bit tricky because I feel like I'm in a bit of a birth bubble where I, <laughs> you know, I see the people, the people that I surround myself with are kind of on the same page as me, but... I have to remind myself that the majority of the world, yes, is probably very scared of birth and like their birth pregnancy processes are very, probably most of the time, very surface level and like very much on a physical process and and there's a lot of fear and kind of like, let's just get this over with and like get myself a cute baby, you know?
0: Do you think that that's the case um, for people that are like not living in like modern Western culture, United States and Europe, like places in Africa or Asia and Middle East and South America. Do you think people in those cultures are also have that kind of fear ingrained? I'm just curious, or it's something that's more pertained to our culture here.
1: I mean, I don't know for sure, but my, my feeling is probably no, my, my feeling is that, and like along the, going back to the death fear thing that Mabel mentioned was, yes, I do definitely think there is something that does need to die, but I do think that the more modern um Western perspective of birth, there has been an immense amount of fear um ingrained into our processes, and just talking to like a couple of friends you know who haven't gone deep into it, like there's so many things that come up when talking to them that I'm like, Wow, you're <laughs> really you're really far off like you gotta uh-huh. take our course so you can like get it, not even you know but just the silly the things that we see in movies, you know, I think that's yeah, such um, it really impacts people. And, and it's such a such just a small glance of the the whole picture of what birth has the potential to be.
0: That is a great point. It's kind of like Hollywood is a lot of people's reference for things because we live in a sterilized, compartmentalized culture where it's like the old people go to that building, the Mm -hmm. sick people go there. And I just stay here in my cubicle where it's safe. and I don't deal with human deals, human interactions in a certain level.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sarah tells the story. I think it came from Rochelle Garcia Saliga about. A gorilla in a zoo uh-huh. who had a baby and it was a big deal because I guess it's not that easy for wild animals to reproduce in, in captivity um, and she couldn't nurse this baby and the baby died mm. um, and she got pregnant again a while later and they had this whole group of breastfeeding women from like a La Leche League group come and like stand outside her window and breastfeed their babies and she learned from seeing these women how to feed her own baby
0: oh so the gorilla wasn't like banned from doing it. like there wasn't like those zookeepers interfered they, no, she, just she just didn't, didn't know how know to do how. it
2: yeah that's and, really
0: good. okay go ahead well
2: yeah. i just think that sort of metaphor can also be applied to birth that we're not exposed to any of this and if we you know even if we have pregnant friends they're like oh this it was great or it was really hard but we don't <laughs> we're not in the depths of it we're not regularly connecting with people on a deep level of like How is your experience? What's going on? And seeing that regularly. Mm -hmm. Whereas I imagine at least in more traditional cultures or previous times, that was just something normal. Like your sister got pregnant. You were there for her birth. You Mm -hmm. were there to take care of her postpartum. And it was just part of life. It wasn't like you said, the separate thing, like the old people go here, the birthing people go here. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: there's just so much more fear that's possible to be generated when there's no understanding or no connection to something.
0: Definitely. and So one of the things I wanted to ask you guys, you know, uh, obviously there's this thing about fear of the unknown that's coming up around birth, but what are just some of the other like massive assumptions, like you were talking about your friends where they're way off in our culture that you come in contact with uh, that people might not realize our assumptions and are totally way off. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. A big one. This is, this is fun. (laughs) Thank you for asking this. A big one is like that. Your water breaking is going to be the first sign of labor and Mm -hmm. that um, the baby's going to come like right away. I think that's that's a big one for me. Um, Also, I kind of am peeved about the word delivered. Like if someone's like, who's going to deliver your baby? Mm. My friend had a book. It was called like babies aren't delivered pizza is. Or something like that. <laughs> Babies don't get delivered. Pizza does, or yeah, something like that. I great. loved that. I'm like, Who came up with that word "delivered"? Mm-hmm. So I think um, going back is like that. You can catch your own baby, or no one needs to catch
2: the baby. Mm-hmm.
1: That's like the baby can, if you're close enough to the ground, can like slip out onto the ground. Those are two big ones for me.
2: Yeah, for me, a huge one is the phrase "have to." Mm. People will always say, "Oh, you have to do this," or like, "Oh, my doctor said I had to do this." Mm. And in reality, as a human, you never have to do anything anyone else says. But especially in pregnancy and birth, I think that it's easy to choose not to make your own decisions. And I was just thinking this morning about decision fatigue and how that can be so real and so daunting, especially when you're imagining now you're taking care of another human and choosing to take responsibility for all of those things, all of the choices you could make can feel like a big Big difficult task, and it can be so much easier to just say, "Oh, my doctor said I had to do this. My midwife said I had to do this test." And I'll hear people say all the time, like, "Oh, I had to go get induced at 39 weeks or whatever." Or even the other day at the chiropractor, there was someone there who was talking about how she was, her due date was in like two days, and so she had to get an induction the next day. Mm. And for me, that's just like you. That's extreme, right? You don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to. It may be the best course of action. It may not be. It may be the easiest course of action for someone else. It may be what makes someone else the most money. Like, Hmm. not to be too cynical about it, but...
0: Are are labor inductions oftentimes monetarily motivated in some respects? I don't know anything about it. Just from what you said made me think that.
2: Yeah, I think that can be part of it. There's also statistics that more women are induced right before major holidays or on Thursdays and Fridays. Okay. So you think maybe it's a convenience. Doctors are like, oh, I would like to be home for Christmas, please. So let's just make this baby come out now. And this isn't in any way like... To speak poorly of specific people or doctors, I think it's a system that they've all come through that in a way that training has been to dehumanize them and to disconnect mm-hmm. them from other people. My stepbrother is in medical school right now and just hearing about how like, he has 18-hour shifts and then he goes home to sleep two hours and then does homework just feels to me like there's a point in that that is meant to separate you from being able to connect to other people's suffering or even just other people in general.
0: Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and also too, like you don't even need a doctor to have a birth, I mean, from my understanding, because a, a midwife is not a doctor but they have medical training to some degree but having a doctor is just like for every Hollywood movie you see they're always in a hospital in this in this institutional environment but like I don't think any of the women here other than I know one of them had to go to the hospital because there was some complication, and everything was totally fine. There was no issue, and so there's you know grateful that there's a hospital to go to in that respect. But no one here has had a birth in a hospital. Just people probably don't even realize that in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the um, <clears throat> I think the official definition is like midwives are experts in normal birth, and obitri- uh, OBs, obstetricians are like experts in like complications that mm. might arise. And and surgery. Okay. So that's just kind of like right there. If you can just see things through that lens, like I'm going to get for people who want to have a normal birth in the hospital, you're going to someone who specializes in
0: surgery. Right. That's a great point. Yeah.
2: I like people have said, like, you wouldn't go to the heart surgeon just because you have a heart or like you don't regularly go to the <laughs> eye doctor because you have eyes. Yeah. You go when problems arise that require more intensive care or technology.
0: Uh-huh. OK, um, yeah, I want to just say ahead, something. Yeah. I just want
1: to um, kind of spiraling around here. But going back to the, the course and what I feel like is special about this course, what Mabel was talking about, have tos and the decision fatigue. Um, I think when you, a person is up against having so many decisions and there's like these quote unquote experts telling you this this and this and the other thing it can be definitely exhausting to like go research all these things and like well if i want another perspective where do i look like google is google and um and i think that's the other thing about our course is like we are providing so many resources and um information that can kind of help balance the scales of like well do you have to like what is the other side what does it really look like so that you don't have to go digging deep for research and google for hours on end
0: and are you guys working with a lot of people that are outside of new york state have you been able to connect with like a larger population
1: um for the people who are going to be taking the course you mean Mm -hmm. well we haven't officially launched it publicly publicly okay. okay so we have um there's a handful i think like probably 15 or so close friends of ours who are kind of Maple doesn't like the word beta testing, but pioneers. <laughs> pioneers who are testing it out and things like that. And then we will officially launch it to the public in March at some point. Okay. But cool. yeah, the goal is that it can be international. You know, really, it could be accessed by anyone. Mm-hmm.
0: And how much have you guys uh, drawn upon uh, knowledge from indigenous traditions and elders, you know, that worked for the community or people that you guys have been in contact with?
1: Yeah, I think as far as the postpartum side of things, very much so. That's like a great deal of where that wisdom is coming from. Is mm. what is, And it's so beautiful because there's so much overlap. And like so many of tra- the traditions are holding the same values and the same pillars of um, what what's needs to be cared for during that time. Um, as far as the whole the birthing side of things, like our perspective is really coming from like the physiological, like not so much and like a really simplistic view and kind of that you don't need a specific breathing technique and you don't need a specific mantra and you don't need a specific anything, but to have this deep relationship with yourself Mm. and your body. And um, again, like really encouraging women to go inward and to find their own, their own mantra, their own guidance. And, um, once you have a, a deeper understanding of like the divine design of how, like how birth is, sure. it brings such, at least for me and what I've observed, like a deep level of trust and, um, relief for, Like, wow, my body is so exquisitely designed for this. So that's where I feel like we're really drawing a lot of our wisdom from.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's drawing women back into their own bodies, into their own truths. And from there, that can extend to whatever cultures, lineages, ancestors that they feel aligned with. So taking these truths of the human body that can then be translated through whichever filter whichever lens feels right for an individual
0: Mm. and so stuff with the postpartum well first of all thanks for sharing that that is really uh that resonates a lot with me because i feel like the more i've learned from all these cultures it's like the less you need to focus on these highly Mm -hmm. complicated and specific things and more just like tune into yourself like that's really what they're all just trying to do is point you to look back at yourself um so thank you for saying that and then uh, in terms of the postpartum care, you said you are drawing in some different traditions. Are there some specific ones that you're... I know because Ayurveda is like a huge mm-hmm. thing with the diet. I know that.
2: Yeah, I studied specifically in an Ayurvedically influenced um, program. But the cool thing is that like no matter where you look around the world, these intact traditions of postpartum care have the exact same principles, the same roots. Mm. Um and there's different, like, herbs, different methods, different techniques, but the base of it is all the same, which is just so cool to me. And, like, way before people had communication technology across the world, they all understood that this was the truth of the postpartum time.
0: So you find commonalities between people in India and, say, Mexico?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the big thing right now that people are talking about is, like, a closing of the bone ceremony. Um, and it can be kind of controversial because people say, oh, it's from Mexico, it's from these specific cultures. So if anyone else does it, it's cultural appropriation. But the truth is that cultures all around the world have a very, very similar ceremony. Hmm. And that this wrapping, this holding of women, this bringing their bodies back together is global, is universal. And it has different names in different places, but it's the same thing.
0: What what exactly is the closing of the bone ceremony? I've never heard of that. Really? No. No. Maybe I have, and I just don't know by name. I don't
1: know. Yeah, so um, in Mexico it's called the um, Sierra La Carrera, I think. I think that means closing of the hips. Mm. And um, so, yeah, the idea, well, there's a couple different, it kind of works on a physical level and an emotional, spiritual level. But when a woman is giving birth, her... her hips her bones literally open right Mm -hmm. and they're stretching open to more than normal size and so the idea is to bring them back together because sometimes the sometimes the muscles can kind of like stay lengthened and in that stretched place and so it's going to keep the bones kind of opened Um, and so the way that it works is that uh, scarfs are wrapped from the feet to the knees to the thighs to the hips to the stomach, to up the ribs, the shoulders, and then the head, um, and so the idea is that it's literally bringing your bones back together and like mm-hmm. closing the portal. And so it's closing on a physical level, but it's also like energetically because during pregnancy, a woman becomes so open. Yeah, sure. Um, to all the various energies and dimensions and all of the things. And so it's also, like, with intention to kind of close that portal.
0: Why is that controversial?
1: Oh, just because the most common reference like i said is the mexican like sierra la carrera but there's lots of people who are doing it who like are not mexican or haven't been trained by
0: oh and they just feel like only certain people should be allowed to do this but what you guys are saying is it's actually just in many cultures okay gotcha um yeah like i
2: took a postpartum training course with this woman who grew up in africa i can't remember where exactly and we were talking about, like, yoni steaming, which is a big thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I don't I don't know if it has a specific root, like, the way we practice it today. But we started talking about it. She's like, oh, yeah, I totally remember this from my childhood. Just, like, this is what my grandmothers did, and they're specific, and we use these kinds of leaves, and we built a fire. And that's that is a universal practice. That is a universal understanding of what the body needs and ways to care for it that aren't place-based
0: mm-hmm. gotcha totally um okay I know that this is something you guys have done a podcast on but I wanted to ask you the question anyway yeah. so uh can you explain the process of birth being a rite of passage and a metamorphosis for all parties involved I, w- I would like to hear your perspective about it so I'm going to ask that question
2: yeah of course so I learned a lot about this from Kimberly Ann Johnson um, when I went through her mother circle facilitator training Um, And the way she describes it is that most commonly people say, like you just said, oh, birth is a rite of passage. Um, And I can't remember what the man's name was, but there's an anthropologist who studied traditional rites of passage around the world. And he found that they all had this sort of same structure. And there's three parts to them. And the first was called the separation phase. Mm -hmm. So this is where you are. You step out of your normal roles, your normal responsibility, possibly even, like, your normal place. Um, the second is, like, this transition phase, this liminal space. Um, and this is what most people think of as a rite of passage. So this would be birth. This would be some kind of sacrifice. This would be, like, the piercing at the Sundance or uh-huh. the hiking up the mountain. Right. And the first stage I didn't mention is is pregnancy, is the separation, is saying... I can no longer continue to be who I was. Things are changing. Hmm. And in my mind, at least in my own pregnancy, that was why I needed to have morning sickness. I needed this intense physical reminder of like, you can't keep doing this. You need to allow yourself to separate, to let some things go. Uh And we think of pregnancy as this time of like beauty and growth and blah, blah, blah. But there is also this sort of shadow aspect of releasing things of stepping away from things of letting things die Mm -hmm. so then there's the transition that is birth and then on the other side there's this integration or incorporation and i love that word coming from the latin of like in corpo like bringing it back into your body so you separated from your culture your everyday life you went through this incredible transition process and now how do you come back Um, And traditionally, it's been said that, like, if there isn't this third phase of the rite of passage, this incorporation, this being welcomed and received and witnessed by community, that is when things can go really crazy for people.
0: Like postpartum depression, and maybe that's just the the surface of it from what you're saying. Exactly,
2: yeah. And like in your work, I think I really appreciate your emphasis on integration and saying it's not just about having this wild eye-opening experience it's also about bringing this back into your life and uh-huh. using that to be able to grow instead of just like oh this was some crazy thing i had and now i'm going back to who i was saying this was a transition point and now i need to integrate it into my life going forward
0: yeah um two things came to me as you were talking about this uh, the hero's journey by joseph campbell's like definitely mm-hmm. applicable i remember reading the first time in the power of myth um, and the interviewer, Bill Moyers asked him like, you know, is, is giving birth a hero's journey. He's like, absolutely. It's a hero's okay. journey. It's like, you're totally, you're leaving one world. You're totally being broken apart. I mean, it's something like, uh, there's actually something that happens inside with, with the organs and things start to like, just the opening that occurs. Do you know what I'm referring to? Well, the amniotic sac Just like the, the whole inner transition, physiologically speaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from there's the baby being born, but what mm-hmm. happens to your organs and your bone structure? The mm-hmm. whole thing is amazing. Uh, so just in that sense, it is like, yeah, it's a radical transformation. But then also I was thinking about when Echelle was pregnant with Makoa and, you know, we have the pool over there with all the rock wall around the pool and she's mm-hmm. trying to build the rock wall while she's uh, like, I don't know how many months pregnant Makoa. Uh-huh. Around. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, can you just stop? <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, she was in that process of wanting to keep moving forward as a very creative and active, um, you know. Artists, in a certain sense but Mm -hmm. then like life is physiologically saying you need to stop and you need to just like go inwards and like Mm -hmm. receive what that process is so um yeah that is definitely uh that's just something that made me think about that in in real time so
2: yeah we actually we were just thinking about if we want to give the modules of our course names Mm -hmm. right now they're just called like introductions pregnancy birth and i was going through i was like well it could be sort of like the story of Anna, like this descent into the underworld we could go through the modules like that or i was looking through the, the hero's journey like how can we sort of incorporate this aspect and make our course into this process like modeling this journey
0: do you guys offer anything for um participants like uh after the kind of postpartum thing where they're able to connect communally with each other about like what is happening and this idea of like being seen and witnessed Mm -hmm. as to the process. Do you guys have a space for that in the course?
2: Yeah. So right now we have sort of a a community platform similar to a Facebook group, I would suppose. Um, and we're also going to have monthly calls Hmm. so it can be like question and answer any concerns people have any things that they want to explore or connect with more deeply. Um, and I'm also hoping to offer a mother circle online like twice a year maybe. Um, which I think would be a really great point of integration for people who have gone through this experience.
3: Hmm.
1: Do you want to
2: talk about the Mother Circle specifically? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I could. So a Mother Circle, this is an eight-week journey that, like I mentioned, I learned from Kimberly Ann Johnson. She set up this really incredible arc. Um, And we talk a lot about archetypes. We look... It's kind of... It's hard to describe. Um, but it's been really impactful in my own mothering journey, personally, just having the space to ask the questions about, like, who am I now? Mm-hmm. What does it mean that I'm not who I was? And what are my guiding lights forward to growing into who I am?
0: It's addressing, like, the psychology of the whole experience. Is that an accurate statement?
2: Some of it. Um, it's, some of it's also body-based, talking about, uh-huh. like, sexuality and just feeling sensations of the birth story and processing through that
0: can I ask a question or do you want to share something uh so um one thing that I have found that I was prepared for because people told me was they said and I don't know if it's the case for everybody but in a certain way having kids can make the relationship between the parents way more stressful and challenging I mean I don't know how it couldn't right I mean I mean it brings you closer together but the process of coming closer together and most and most of my experience has been like there in most of my experience coming closer together with anybody in community friendship relationship marriage whatever uh it involves conflict there has mm-hmm. to be some kind of like friction that makes people um actually become more honest with each other and a child is a really good catalyst for that mm-hmm. so that was something i was kind of prepared for more or less but i think it's something that maybe a lot of people aren't Uh, always attuned to that it can actually make the relationship it it will radically change the relationship in that regard Mm -hmm. um you know i think it's kind of funny when you see people who are uh without kids because they can be like you know they're very like physically affectionate in certain ways that are like maybe over the top I think that I used to be like that in a certain <laughs> sense. <laughs> and it's not to say you don't love the other person anymore at all. It's just like the, the love elevates to another plane of consciousness. Mm. That's my experience of it. But um, it just radically shifts the relationship and I'd just be curious to hear from you guys talk about that.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, my son is going through this really interesting phase right now where if my partner and I touch each other, he gets really mad. Like, if we hug, <laughs> he'll come between us and try to push us apart. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there's, like, a physical manifestation of that. Okay. Um, But I also just think that I love your perspective on that, that it's, like, a different level of connection, and I think that's what we wish for all people. Um, but I also think that there's just so much that comes up that if people don't have the tools or the even awareness of what's happening that it can just create so many blocks
0: between partners where yeah. they're, or they're just like yelling at each other they're not listening and so yeah, on. yeah
2: like one thing that's been huge for me and I know it's huge for a lot of women is coming to terms with in some ways a lot of people become dependent like I am now home with a child if anything were to happen if I were to like need to escape for any reason I am no longer making my own money I no longer have physical autonomy most of the time I have a small being with me Uh and that's not to say that like you know I'm preparing to run away (laughs) but there is some I think really deep patterning there um, and coming to terms with ourselves and our what's the word our relationship Um, yeah and just the way that we are able to show up for each other and the expectations that we have. I feel like that's a huge one.
0: Oh, uh-huh. So Wait, I I, before before you answer, right I want to say to you specifically, right. I was thinking, you know, you maybe you're sitting here looking at Mabel and I with like, uh, these fools <laughs> know nothing. They only have one kid. <laughs> uh-huh. So I'm curious to hear your perspective on that four children deep now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for that. yeah. I think Z and I have been together eleven or twelve years at this point. Okay. Um I actually was not thinking that, but, but sometimes I do. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the thing that Z and I both came to like the enlightening piece for both of us when we had children and and we had our second pretty soon after we had our first and it was, there was so much going on. I mean, we had a baby, bought a house, started a farm, renovated a house, had another Uh baby. It was like, you know, two and a half years of just, Explosion, really, um, and I think for us, we just realized like, wow, the moments that we have together, uninterrupted, are so precious. Like, mm. why are we gonna waste it on like arguing over a stupid thing?
3: Mm.
1: <laughs> and I think for me, that's been the biggest thing. Not to say that some things aren't important to talk about, but I was just recognized that there was a lot of things that I didn't, I didn't need to talk about. Like. Mm. I would rather just have fun and smile and whatever, share beautiful moments instead of getting wrapped up in deciding who's right or arguing over who's right or whatever. So I think that's a big, big piece for us. Um, And what was the other? And I think also just becoming kind of having like some degree of being detached and like being okay with not being right. And, Mm -hmm. There's definitely, I mean, of course, there's going to be different reasons why people are arguing. But I think the thing that comes up for me a lot is like the way that I want to raise our children and he might have a different perspective on a certain thing, whether it be like how much candy they get or how much screen Mm -hmm. time they get or when they go to the store, how many things are you going to let them pick out? And um, sometimes feeling like I'm holding, always holding one side and he's holding the other side. But um, I've also noticed that when i calmly and peacefully hold my hold my side like and just sometimes in a matter of time at least recently with the screen time thing he comes to it like Hmm. through observation like oh maybe you were right about that like maybe but i couldn't push it and And I think the other piece is just, like, really acknowledging and lifting each other up in, like, the amazing ways that we are, Mm. which I think is true for any relationship, but, like, especially when it comes to, like, the role of being a parent. Like, how can I really reflect back to you the the ways that you are raising this child that I absolutely love and that are so unique and that I'm so grateful for?
4: Mm.
1: Um, Yeah.
2: I was also, I was, I think, reading something recently about, Like, what if my partner isn't communicating or, like, isn't connecting with our child in the way that I would like? Or, like, if you have a very specific parenting philosophy or whatever. Um, And just thinking about how if you believe, which I know I do, I'm pretty sure Sarah does, I would guess that you do, that children choose to come here, choose to have us as our parents, Mm -hmm. then that means that they're choosing your partner in all the ways that they are. Mm-hmm. And so trying to change that doesn't really make sense. Is trying like just allowing the other parent to be the parent that they are for this child, because that's who the child came for. Mm. They didn't come for your version of your partner.
0: Well said for sure. Um, there's two things I wanted to ask. And uh, the first one uh, I wasn't playing and asking, but I'm glad you brought it up screen time as, as a conscious parent in, the world that we're living in, what are your thoughts about that and just how to do that responsibly? I'm finding that it is very tricky um, because there's moments where you do just need to focus on something else mm-hmm. and not entertaining a child. And obviously it's different for the father than the mother. Like, you know, when it's just Maco and I, for the most part, he tends to just play by himself and he doesn't like need me to come over and engage with him. You know, sometimes I won't hear from him. We'll be in the same room. But I won't hear from him for like, you know, an hour and a half and he'll come up to me and Whoa. be like, fire truck and (laughs) just hands it to me and then he walks away and then like 45 minutes Mm -hmm. later he comes back (laughs) but then there's other moments where it's like something's happening where he needs to be engaged but i can't do it shell can't do it uh and then like the screen comes in and every time i do it i feel a sense of guilt Mm -hmm. and it's like really intense um and i'm just curious what you guys think about that
2: yeah i think not specific two screens, but sort of more addressing parent guilt. Um, okay. One thing that I have found really helpful as a mother is really identifying my values. Um, I've even like written them out before, sort of a value statement of my motherhood, so that when I make decisions that feel a little weird to me or I start to feel guilty about, I can think, am I feeling guilty about this because someone's told me that I should? Mm. Like Someone's told me that I shouldn't give my kids screens ever and I feel guilty because I'm letting down someone else's expectation of me? Or am I feeling guilty because this really isn't in alignment with my values? In which case, I would need to address that. But if I'm only feeling guilty because I'm expected to be or I'm expecting myself to be a different way, then that feels like a totally different approach.
0: I think just for myself personally, it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Because like, I mean... It's one thing to use a screen to do something like what we're doing, recording something, or you're um, you're working on it. Another thing to be just be mindlessly entertained. And, like, some part of it is okay because it's, like, most of us grew up watching TV. And I know a lot of people that grew up watching a lot of TV that are mm-hmm. doing really epic things with their life, so it's okay. Uh, but it's, like, I would just say for myself, it's a little bit of both. It's not just that someone's yeah. telling me. It's also, like, in myself, I'm, like, I don't really just want him to be mindlessly entertained.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a weird conversation that we have to be having as parents. Uh-huh. Like, I wish we could just say, "Just go outside and don't be on screens ever." But that doesn't feel realistic. I mean, maybe you could pull like a Captain Fantastic situation, <laughs> but for most people, that doesn't feel realistic. And I know this is more of a relevant topic for you than for me with one, two-year-old.
0: Michelle told me that Captain Finn—that's the one with the uh, v- Viggo mortensen when he's like has a yeah. Noam Chomsky day. Yeah, Michelle <laughs> said that's what I'm gonna be like when I'm older. I love that. <laughs> I'd like to be like that. I'd like to watch Cho- that movie uh, gnome, I'm all for Noam Chomsky Day for the record. Um anyway, uh your response. Did you know up? that
2: the Kok Gnome is named
0: Noam Chomsky? No, gnome I did not. Farm gnome, that giant guy. That's beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Well we've been back and forth and tried many different arrangements with the screen time situation. I personally did not grow up with very much T V. Mm. Um and Z did. So
0: really, I wouldn't have thought he did. Huh?
1: Yeah. Well, you <laughs> we see him at three in the morning.
4: <laughs>
1: but actually it was so funny because rewind probably nine, ten years ago. Um, we, when we first met and we're living in the same house, there was not a TV around and we went on a road trip and we're staying at this really cool Airbnb and he turns on the TV and is just sitting there watching. And I said something like, what are you doing? And he got really upset (laughs) be like, don't tell me to turn the TV off. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyways. So there's kind of that thread, but, um, or it's just a thing that you're continually finding peace on. And that's a big thing where I'm like, you're an adult. You can watch as much TV as you want. Like, I'm not going to stop you. That's your thing. If you want to stay up till four watching movies and be tired the next day, go for it. But our children are another situation. Mm -hmm. And, um, really i've just been making my decisions through observation and like mm-hmm. i have observed that it's so highly addicting that's yeah. that's the thing scary. that, that really it's really scary mm-hmm. and um so yeah i've just seen that the more the kids get to watch it the more they want to watch it it's extremely difficult to get them off even if it's like very clear half an hour or hour or whatever right. When it's time to turn that thing off there are screams and freak outs galore um mm-hmm. and so that's the thing where i'm like i don't want to deal with that on a regular basis that's one thing but also i think it's really dysregulating to their system but yeah i i got little little bubs here waking up But, um, yeah, I think the place that we have come to is like, it is, it's a treat. It's like ice cream. So like right now we don't have screen time during the week Hmm. and then on the weekend, like they can watch a movie here and there and that's been working really, really well. And they know, like they'll ask me, they've been, this is a newer thing, but they're like, is it, what day do I get to watch screen time again? (laughs) Friday. (laughs) When's Friday? Well, today's Thursday. Okay. So tomorrow? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I think for me, the biggest, one of the biggest things that scared me was the addictive quality. And there's uh-huh. still times where like my daughter, I'll just be doing something and I'm like, where's my phone? Where is my phone? And she's up there hiding on my phone, watching stuff. Do you know how many times I changed my passcode? Like she watches me and memorizes. Wow. she's memorized probably 10 or 15 different passcodes. That's impressive. Which, yeah, on some levels, like, <laughs> um, but I think what... I also like we are examples and like so if she's seeing me on my phone all the time like whether yeah. it's on instagram or texting people sh- she doesn't know the difference between those two things she just sees me staring at a screen mm-hmm. um
0: this is tricky for myself because i do so much work on my phone like and i was looking at myself yesterday and i was like i've been on my the not yesterday the day before i was like i've really been on the computer like the whole day in the phone but then i was also like barely none of it was distraction entertainment. It was just emails and the organization talking to all the people in community and stuff. So I was thinking about that, like this is kind of tricky because they don't know that.
1: Yeah, totally. And there have been moments where I've told her like, this is a tool, not a toy. Uh-huh. Or like, I'm using this as a tool, not a toy. Um, so, you know, once they get older, I think they can start to make that distinction or you can have that conversation with them. Um, there was something else that... I was gonna say, and my train of thought went okay. elsewhere, but um, yeah, it's been really working much better for us to have that very specific time where they can have it and when they can't have it. Um,
4: and I really want to say that thing.
0: If it comes back, it, just, come back. Just bring it in, It's okay. Yeah. I was considering buying a flip phone and getting rid of my smartphone because I, I hate looking at my phone. Like every week. It, yeah, it's uh, one day I might just do it if I have more, uh, if I have the daring to do it. Um, so I w- have a couple other things I wanted to ask you guys about. Um, so how does having children create community? Cause I think like, you know, as, as each and I've gone out to a lot of people and done all kinds of things and stuff and brought people together, we always talk about great community. And a lot of times people don't always understand how to do that, even though we provide a lot of, um, you know, ideas and things. But one thing that I've found within my own personal life living here, create uh having kids like creates community like wow super powerfully and i just want to hear from you guys about that and then also too um if that's not enough uh also talking about um how your experience is raising kids in a communal environment Mm
1: okay well yeah so i'll just start with the first one (laughs) um i think it i mean it if there's an opportunity to create community with children, I think it will happen out of necessity. And I was just reflecting on that this morning. My parents, um, who I consider part of my community, took my kids, three big kids, for the weekend. And while I was so thrilled to have some time off, there's this part of me that's like guilty. Like, why do I... Which. I'm glad we brought up guilt before so I can see how this aligns with my values. But I'm like, why do I, well, maybe this is it. Because I think there is this part of me that feels like I need to be able to do it all alone. And if I can't, not, not all alone, but like
0: self-reliant.
1: Right. And like having someone help me that much reflects back to me that I'm weak somehow. And then I'm like, but like, (laughs) sorry, it's okay. But, um, that, you know, I do really resonate with the phrase, like it takes a village and like in traditional settings, like I would never be parenting the way that I, even though we are part of a community, I do feel like we're not to the level that people in villages share responsibility of raising children. Yeah, for sure. And um, so that kind of like brought me some peace. I was like, oh yeah, because like, I, why would I feel guilty about this? This is like necessary to be a sane human, to be sharing this, yeah. this responsibility. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think it's partly out of necessity. Like if you have the opportunity to help each other take care of your kids, then it's going to happen. And I also think like there is such beauty in being able to, for children to have these close relationships with their aunties and uncles and Mm -hmm. like see the ways that different people are and like see the different gifts that we have to share with them and, i think like in having a really close relationship based on love and trust as a child having many relationship with adults in that way like really creates a foundation for confidence and mm-hmm. um yeah, just what's being and like being comfortable with oneself that can take a person really really far. I was reflecting on this a lot yeah the other day because um which isn't perfect in community and like you said kind of leading into the next thing like I think raising children in community is like a whole other level of self-work and like reflecting on oneself and reflecting on the ways that we were raised and like these really deep threads of, um, Hmm. Of like what it, what it takes or what we believe it takes to make a great human. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, and then there's like, we talk about this a lot in our course, like there's, there's ways to just like get by and like a lot of not get by, but having a baby and being pregnant and giving birth, like there's you can do it and like not put a lot of effort into it and like things will probably be fine.
0: You're raising a kid though too, you saying that as well.
1: To some level, right? You, could, like, you could be a
0: little automatic about it because uh-huh. we're not living in like prehistoric times or something. I don't know if that's really relevant, but
1: yeah, I mean like <laughs> this is not. I love my parents deeply. They're amazing and they're so supportive and generous and all of these things. But like when I look back on my childhood, like. I went to school every day and they went to work and like, I don't feel like I don't remember like having profound conversations with them or like them exposing me to all these things that I wish I had been exposed to. Like Uh they kind of went like the general run of the mill anyway. And I turned out okay. Yada, yada. But what I'm getting to is like, (laughs) and what we speak about a lot in the course is like, what is the optimal? Like, yes, we're doing great, but like how much greater could we be? Like, if we really nourished ourselves and like provided ourselves with these things and our children, like we don't even know what the full potential is um, Mm -hmm. of ourselves and our children with when provided with like these optimal nutrients and I mean nutrients on not just a physical level. Mm -hmm. Um, Where was I going with all of that? (laughs) Anyway, so I was just reflecting. So yes, raising children in community. Um, Yeah. So I think it gives, people are really you have to look at the way you believe a child should be raised and the way that you were raised and that's a very personal thing like some people think it should go one way and some people think it should go another way and so it can be really tricky and really controversial in my experience thus far Um, and i really had myself thinking last night because i had an experience last night with another parent and the person was like well I I want this kid to be tough. Like I'm showing them how to be tough. Uh And I was really asking myself like, well, first of all, is that what's most important to me for my child to be tough? Like, yeah, I want them to be tough. But I think (laughs) first, like what's more important is like having them be compassionate and having them be creative and having them be curious. I think those are like some of the.
0: But are they mutually exclusive?
1: No, not necessarily, but this is, but then I was asking myself, well, tough is, yes, I like, I would like my child to be tough, but like, what does that really mean? Uh-huh. And how do you become tough? And like, what I came down to was like having confidence and like really knowing one's stuff, like not confidence in an arrogant way, but like, yes, I am a beautiful human being and I deserve love and this and that and the other thing. And like, but nothing can touch that. Like I am a spiritual divine being no matter what. And in my experience and observation and research, like the way to instill that in a child is like through unconditional love. And that a lot of that comes from this book called unconditional parenting. Hmm. And sometimes that might be observed in like a way that is some people might, it just kind of goes against a lot of like typical standard ways of like parenting from maybe the ways that we were parented. Mm -hmm.
0: What's, what's a quick example you passed to Mabel um,
1: Hmm. okay well I think just as simple as like a kid does something they shouldn't and like yelling at them yelling at them and saying like no don't do that versus like sitting down getting at their level like explaining to them a situation or mm-hmm. like we had an experience the other day where my five-year-old was being really difficult. And my husband was just like really losing his patience and was raising his voice at him. And then he, and it was clear that my son was just like distraught. And my husband came in like 10 minutes later, 15, whatever, picks him up, gives him a hug. And he's like, you know, I still love you. Even when I'm mad at you, mm-hmm. he's like, you know that. And he was like, no, he said, I didn't know that. And he's like, I do. I still love you. Even when I'm mad at you. Mm. And that was, to me, was like such a strong moment. Like he needs to know that. He needs to know that, like, even when he's did something wrong or like he got in trouble, that like there's still that unconditional, that like that thread of love.
0: Hmm. Before, uh, one thing I want to share is I was thinking about you are talking about the the toughers, compassionate, empathetic, and creative, and so on. I don't know if this is really this is the thing that came to my mind. I was thinking about the monk that lit himself on fire to protest the Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. because it's like, you know. What what came to me though is like gentleness is actually an expression of toughness. Mm. Like be in and in the sense of like this person was like at a place of like despair and and totally distraught, feeling like there's nothing they can do but out of compassion, they're like I can sacrifice myself but and not in a way that's like I'm a victim but like sits in silent meditation uh while they're burned alive and you know not scream or anything, but be like, I'm completely sacrificing myself for the greater good I just think of that person as like, that person is very compassionate because they care about the suffering of others, but then also extraordinarily tough and then very gentle too because they're not like yeah. lashing out against other people. I don't think that we want our kids to light themselves on fire. I did, I lit myself on fire when I was 12, actually. I don't recommend it, but um, <laughs> my whole leg caught on fire. It's another story, but. um. <laughs> <laughs> but i i just was thinking about that the idea of like that person being more of a symbol of someone that is like very gentle very mm-hmm. compassionate very peaceful but extraordinarily tolerant able to endure like the burning and much like suffering in a way where they're like i've transcended human suffering completely through my gentleness yeah that's just something yeah. that was coming to me as you were talking I just thought that was worth sharing
1: yeah I love that and i well when I was thinking about this all i was just reflecting on the people in my life who I find who I feel are very tough and I they are usually very gentle and very calm and very peaceful and compassionate too so
3: like mm-hmm. Jerry like Jerry oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sometimes
3: <laughs>
2: um i think back to the community parenting question to me it feels like i said important to define your own values as a parent as a person mm-hmm. and i also love what our friend Chris said one time is like, it's also important to let your child be uncled by this uncle in the way that they uncle. oh, And just understand that in the world, your children are going to come into contact with all types of different people and have to navigate those different relationships and ways of beings and priorities. And ultimately, as the parent, you have more time, more energy, more input in who this person is turns out to be but I do think that as a as a mother at least speaking it feels difficult to parent with people who are not valuing things in the exact same way as you Mm -hmm. and I feel like there's so much I'm gonna say the word value again so much value in just mothering with other mothers even if you don't agree on everything just being there together and being like we collectively are mothering these children Mm. I know for me that's when i feel most relaxed it's not when i'm at home alone with my child because i don't think that mothers were ever meant to be home alone all day it's when i'm in space with other mothers and it's just like these are our children and we're watching them and we're caring for them mm-hmm. it's not like oh you can only discipline your kid and i will only tell my child not what to do it's this collective space collective holding um and something that always comes up for me when i'm feeling stuck or frustrated or scared as a parent is the it's a poem that comes from the prophet and i learned it as a song by sweet honey and the rock but i think it's just called on children um and that to me is just such a such a greater reminder of what's happening that like yes we birth these children and they are not our humans and they will they they came here for their own path, their own teachings, and we can't necessarily protect them from that or guide them in a way that they're not ready or willing or interested in going. And so we can provide a lot, but ultimately we have no control.
0: I'm pulling up. So it's, it's like a passage if I pull yeah. it up here? Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> is it something that I should read right now or is it yeah. very long? No,
3: it's not very long.
0: Okay. On children. And a woman held a babe against her bosom said, Speak to us of children. And he said, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And through they are with you, yet they belong to you. You may give what's that they belong not to you touche yeah i need to be careful reading (laughs) that you may give them your love but not your thoughts for it they have their own thoughts you may house their bodies but not their souls for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow which you cannot visit not even in your dreams you may strive to be like them but seek not to make them like you for life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday you are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. Kahil Gibran. Gibran? Gibran. Beautiful. I like that a lot. I've heard Maestro say that, where they, they come through you, but they don't belong to you
1: i love that poem so much we read that for my baby blessing and actually the piece about being the bent um bow i'm really <laughs> resonating with <laughs> um i love that and mabel when you were sharing it reminded me of something that i was listening a book that i was listening to a couple years ago and i'm pretty sure it's the um old path white cloud book mm. and i don't remember the exact words but it was something along the line of a mother tiger protecting her cub and like to 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 not be the mother tiger protecting her cub but to like love all cubs like your own is like the way that I interpreted it mm-hmm. which has really stuck with me in that like I have observed the ways or like the um canyons that are like the thought patterns that i have observed myself creating of like no this is my child and like this like favoritism almost and like observing other parents and since hearing that part of the book like really making this effort to dissolve those walls between myself and other children and like really care and love and watch over these other beings like they Mm -hmm. are my own and um i think for me like one of the important pieces of that is just creating this sense of like universal family um Mm -hmm. i was my little boys were fighting last night and i was like you guys you're on the same team like and i almost (laughs) said we're like we're team hackney but before i said that because that's my husband's name and that's the last name that my kids have before i said that z my husband was like humanity is on the same team and i was like yeah that's way better (laughs) okay
0: yeah someone should tell them (laughs) someone should tell them (laughs) yeah but
1: um, yeah. So the, like, that's been a piece for me. Is like, can I?
0: Not your kids, for the record. Oh, tell I mean, someone them. should tell them like the the human oh, species. Oh yes, 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 yes. I thought you were telling me. <laughs> no, no, we can tell that. them too. Yeah. But
1: um, but I think that's for me. Like, that's been a big lesson in raising, helping to raise other people's children. Is like, I truly want every person in the world to like see the beauty and the light in my child, and and I'm really trying to do the same for. Other people's children. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, for other people, everyone. But <laughs> maybe once. That's a burning
2: well, moment. <laughs> I, yeah, you said something. Um, Just and also to allow other parents to raise you as a parent. I think you've been, I mean, I'm so grateful to have lived with you and to have seen your example as a mother before I became a mother. And just to be so up close to that, like, to feel that frequency of really powerful motherhood. And to be witnessing to what that looks like, even when it looks like losing your patience or yelling or just saying, I can't deal with you right now. <laughs> That's all such an important part to witness. Um, hmm. And it just it feels like it comes back to the gorilla story that we are meant to parent together. We're meant to see other women breastfeed. We're meant to see how other fathers become fathers. Um, and we've turned into such a culture where it's like, oh, we're just our our own little family and we can do it ourselves and Uh we're unique. So no one else can help us.
0: Yeah. I definitely have learned. I mean, when I haven't really thought as much about it, maybe in a certain sense, but hearing you say it, just making me reflect about how much I've learned about, parenting from other fathers in the community like my talks a lot about you learn so much just from osmosis from just picking things yeah. up without someone even like directly explaining it to you about how to do yeah. things you just learn by just being around the person um just thinking about z my observation with z most of the time that i'm with him and there's something happens he just really speaks very gently and composed to the kids i'm sure there's plenty <laughs> of times you know where that doesn't <laughs> happen because he's human but My observation is that he does a very good job of that. I've learned a lot just from watching him just Mm -hmm. casually talk to, you know, uh, Mayuna and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, thank you for saying that because that's a good thing. It's like, it's not just like that uh, the kids are teaching us and so on. That's like other parents are parenting us Mm -hmm. and so on. Um, Can I ask another question? You guys want to share it? Okay. So uh, we were talking about Um, independently prior to the podcast, I I had the last question I wrote down, even though I I skipped a couple and (laughs) hop in and out because things have been kind of free flowing here. Um, the, how has childbirth helped you understand the importance, necessity and spiritual purpose of pain? And then it was interesting Hmm. when you guys came in here, you both were like, oh, we want to talk about that. And so there's something that needs to be addressed with that, I suppose.
2: Yeah. Well, my first thought was around the word necessity. I don't think that birth has to be painful. I don't think that every woman experiences it as painful. Okay. But I do think that there's this incredible intensity that's inevitable. Yeah. Um, and we mentioned we had a podcast episode where we talked about pain in birth or the perception of pain in birth. And at one point we were talking about how one can experience pain without experiencing suffering and we were like oh we should bring this up to jerry we're gonna talk with him one of these days (laughs) um but i do think that bringing it back to the rite of passage you do need this moment of intensity to transition you into something else and even like the hormones of undisturbed birth assist this process they help you to in some ways transcend pain Like there's so many, um, like a runner's high.
0: This is during the birthing process, okay. Yeah,
2: Yeah. like there's really intense hormones, beta endorphins, which basically help you transcend these feelings or things that in your everyday life, if you were just to experience the sensations of labor, might totally break you. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, I am going crazy. What is happening? But in an undisturbed birth, these sensations are just part of the process and part of the sort of navigation. I don't know if I'm making sense.
0: Yeah. uh, I just want to jump off that. Mm -hmm. We had spoken to a woman who was like a family friend of Michelle's family in Colorado. And she was like, I got the, uh, i forgot the name It's some what's it called Abedura. that's exactly yeah uh because she was like i just didn't want to feel the pain mm-hmm. i just people and i think that might be where also where some of the fear comes from it's not just from not being around mm-hmm. people people are just genuinely terrified of like pain and not understanding the distinction between pain and suffering mm-hmm. and we can go more into that in a moment but maybe you want to share some stuff there
1: Yeah. Can you remind me what the original question
3: was? Just
0: like, what you know, how is childbirth helping us understand, like, the spiritual significance and purpose of pain? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be a necessity because, as Mabel pointed out, it's not always there. Right.
1: Right. I think maybe not pain specifically, like Mabel said, but intensity. But I think for me, some of the biggest lessons that I have learned through birthing and those intense moments is, like, that I can endure more than I ever knew possible Mm. and like in the labor in probably every single labor it's like you know there's this thought like when is this gonna stop like is this gonna get more intense is this gonna get more and it and it gets more 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 and then you're done and then you have a baby but like i think it it gives us an opportunity to to see how limit how our mind can create such limits right um And yeah, that we are just so much more powerful and capable than, than, than my mind would even allow myself to perceive myself to be. And then that can, and I think that's one of the reasons why like birth has the potential to be so transformative when, you know, held with reverence and like sacredness, because that can be applied to your life as a mother, as a woman. And like really propel you forward into like what your mission is because Mm. I know that for me like the things like my biggest dreams and goals in life that sometimes they feel unattainable unattainable or like Uh too hard to reach but I've been shown through like this profound experience that like I can do so much more than I think I can so that to me is like what the the pain intensity because that's that is the part that's like the hard part of birth right Mm
4: -hmm.
0: It sounds like it's teaching you that, like, on the other side of the obstacle is this, you know, transcendental release and, like, new opportunity, literally new life that comes forward. And also, like, that, you know, the pain is more of a psychological thing. It's not really that physically catastrophic. It's not something that is going to cripple you or break you. It's something that's actually going to propel you into, like, a new capacity. And the transcendental expression of yourself
1: yeah I mean I think some people might think that it's very much a physical but I think the other on top of what I said and what you said I think like teaching me in the moment to go into it like when mm-hmm. you're in a challenging painful intense situation regardless if it's birth or something else like the more you try to get out of it it almost gets harder
0: <coughs> You're psychologically and, resisting it.
1: Right, exactly. And, like, if you really bring all your awareness and your focus and just, like, full are fully present with this thing that is happening, it's it somehow gets easier. I'm not sure. I think maybe part of it is, like, sorry, I have this tickle in my throat. <coughs> you, you become it. And so like maybe this is where the esoteric part of it comes in. Is like the, maybe the ego dissolves and you're just you are this thing. Mm. Um, <clears throat> one of the most helpful things that my midwife said to me during this last labor was and it, she said it at the perfect timing was I was in it. I was, you know, like so intensely focused on what I was doing and my sensations in my body. And then I could just feel my mind starting to, like, drift out into this place of panic. And she just said, like, stay in it, stay with it. And I went right back in to myself, I guess. I'm not even sure where I went into. But that just, that was my experience of, like, this, that separation of, like, watching myself and my mind going. And then, like, this unifying force of, like, coming back into this, like, central, I don't know, vortex of being... (laughs)
2: Yeah, I also feel like it's such an incredible reminder sometimes for the first time in people's life of, like, how powerful you are. Uh You know, you do a difficult hike and you're like, wow, I did that. I that, I feel really good about myself. I'm reminded of what I'm capable of. And then beyond that, you give birth to a baby and you're like, that was the most difficult thing I've ever done. And I did it and I'm here. And there was no way out of it, but that didn't matter because I was just going through it. Um, and I also, I think, I can't totally remember if this is true or not, but I feel like there was a moment in my labor when I thought of you, Jerry. Cool. I remember something you said <laughs> where you were like, every time, like, I'm throwing up, I try to smile.
0: That uh, I, I, I sounds like something I would say. <laughs> At the beginning
2: of my labor, I was throwing up a lot and, like, deeply uncomfortable and not totally in, like, the flow of labor yet and just kind of like, this just sucks, what's happening? And I was like, you know what? let's just try to smile this sucks and it's kind of funny
0: i'm pretty sure i said that yeah yeah uh i i remember just uh i we were in a teepee and we weren't allowed to leave to go to the bathroom and i remember it was just like excruciatingly painful i had i just not known not to drink a bunch of water and eat food prior and i was it just felt like i I felt like i was giving birth put it that way (laughs) And it was just like, God bless me. And people were just talking and talking. I'm like, stop talking. And it just, you can't really do anything. You can't lay down. I remember looking over at someone and they were like, they were just like a statue. And I was just like, oh my God. And then I just started telling myself, like in my mind, I was like, it's through our pain that we grow. And I just kept saying that over and over again. And then something happened where psychologically, it just like, it went from like confinement and pressure to just like space and flow. I still felt like I was about to explode on the inside, but it just didn't hurt anymore. I don't know mm-hmm. how to, I don't know how to like articulate it other than that. It just, my mind was okay with it. And then there was an opportunity where I had, where I was able to leave the TP and other people weren't. because I was putting wood in the fire and, uh, I could have gone to the bathroom. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to hold it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that's kind of my, my closest, you know, male expression of, of being pregnant, I guess. Um, <laughs> But that's really funny that you thought that during, I'm happy yeah. to know that those little sound bites I send off, you know, of read, people remember them as <laughs> mm-hmm. crucial moments. Um,
2: yeah, I feel like I had an experience in my labor also that was kind of a similar situation where I'd go through a couple of contractions and I'd be like, this is so intense. What am I doing? This is crazy. And then I'd have a contraction where I was able to, like, visualize what was happening in my body. And during that contraction, I was like, wait, this actually, there's no pain involved. It's just really intense. Movement and sensation and pressure mm. and when I forgot that when I let myself just get into like this is painful this sucks then it was painful and it did suck and when I could remember what was happening it felt completely different
0: so what I think would be what I think is great is what you guys are talking about is like that the, the way out is through mm-hmm. and I'm just thinking about that woman I don't remember her name uh, who was just talking about it. she's like I just didn't want to feel the pains. So epidemic Epidural. Epidural, Epidural. yeah. She just took that. And, like, what would you say to a person, like, that really just feels genuinely terrified of the pain of childbirth? they never experienced anything like that, or maybe they have experienced something like that in the past that was traumatic, and they just don't want to deal with that level of pain again.
2: Yeah, I would say that you should learn about the hormones of birth um, and how that unfolds, because there is such an amazing dance of hormones that's designed to support you through this process. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I would say listen to birth stories of people who have had home births or unmedicated births or beautiful births, and watch birth videos. I feel mm. like again, so much of the fear is just fear of the unknown. Like, I I know that it hurts. I've seen people screaming in movies, but beyond that, I don't really know what it's about.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think kind of like what you said is on the other side. There is this beautiful gift, but also in the moment, there is a beautiful gift. Like, mm-hmm. it is, and that's why. Yes. Pain sometimes is part of it, but I len- I tend lean more towards the word intensity because there's like right, okay. so many other things that are being experienced in the moment. It's not just pain. It's mm-hmm. like ec- ecstasy and joy and bliss mm-hmm. and like your heart. At least these are the things that I experience, like my heart exploding with love and excitement and all of these things. So it's it's kind of all like this rainbow of intense experience, not just pain. And I think that's. Sometimes, like like Mabel said, people don't often hear about those other things. It's just right, like, right. oh, it's going to hurt like nothing else in my whole yeah, life.
0: Yeah, was really adamant that that was her experience, like ecstasy in a sense of like bliss coming forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah,
2: and I think also just to remember that this is such an amazing gift that this rite of passage is built into our physiology. Like around the world, it can be easy to be like, oh, look, all these rites of passages are for men because nobody cares about women. But the reality is we have these rites of passage in our body, Mm -hmm. like in our first bleeding every month. That is a mini rite of passage and just that this is part of our design and part of the gift of being human is to be able to evolve through these intense experiences.
0: And that's a great point you made because my understanding is a lot of like the, the male rites of passages were created because nature doesn't do it for men the mm-hmm. way it does for women with the menstrual cycle, with being able to give birth. My my very limited understanding of the Sundance is that it was created in a certain sense so men could understand the uh, sacrifice of giving birth in a certain mm-hmm. degree, like the ripping of the flesh and the whole process. Um, yeah, because it's like if... if uh, Nature fortunately does it to women in a certain degree. It's like, regardless if you want it or not, you're going to have a process where you realize you are no longer a child. But mm-hmm. for a man, it's like we have to go undergo this like psychological um, process in a certain cultural way to figure it out. It's a very interesting thing in that sense.
2: Yeah, I've already, I'm already talking to my partner of like, okay, when Olin's like 14, uh, 15, we got to figure something out here. Yeah, put Send him on him a vision quest. Yep,
0: that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to share anything? I have another question to ask. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, how are we doing on time? I'm all
2: right. good. I have nothing to do Okay, today. nothing to do. <laughs> okay. i go get my child at some
4: point.
0: So we're, this, I think, plays into it because we're talking about uh, rites of passage and, and um, you know, hero's journey and so on. So I had another thing from Joseph Campbell and uh, an idea he put forth, which is to say an idea that's put forth by, like, all the great wisdom traditions of the world because that's what he studied he says that we don't need to fix life or change it necessarily, but rather we need to uh, rejuvenate the world by bringing revitalized energy into life. Hmm. Um, And can you just talk about how having children has done that for you guys?
2: Hmm. This is kind of connected, something I was just thinking about. But to me, I can't totally make the connection verbally yet right now. But just when you were talking about When we were talking about pain earlier, there's some part of me that feels like giving birth and being fully present in that experience, not with epidurals or drugs or even just like not out of your mind in fear. Being really present with it is Mm. somehow a gift to the earth. Mm. And that feels relevant to this quote, like with consciously birthing our children, we are rejuvenating the earth. We are bringing this new vitality into both the new generations of humanity, but also energetically like into mother nature herself.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm not, not sure if I can put any more words to it, but, um, I don't know if you look at the picture of me giving birth on Instagram, I feel like that, that kind of, that, which, you know, was maybe controversial to some people, but that I think is, part of why I felt the need to share that was because like there is this like what I felt was being captured in that moment was this like primal vital like creation energy that was just and like Mabel was saying like that I think I don't want to say only comes through but it comes through has the power the potential to come through so strongly in those moments of Uh like pushing getting pushed to what you think is your edge um, but I was thinking my answer before Mabel shared that was something much more simple of just like, for example, last night, uh, we put on some really silly music and my husband and I started dancing like super silly. It was like, now lift your left arm and put your arm down and put your shake and your whip and you're this and you're that and you wiggle and you bounce and you're... And my kids were, wa- the kids were supposed to be dancing, but it was just me and my husband <laughs> dancing and them watching us. But it was like, it was so fun. And I so <laughs> needed that. But like, I wouldn't do that normally if I didn't have kids. You That's know, I was perfect, like, yeah. I literally uh-huh. had like got pulled into this opportunity to like be silly and joyful and light. And like, I feel like when I, I notice, sometimes it's not always that way. Sometimes I just in like this um, kind of automatic mode of like doing the dishes, doing the this and this. But like when I do have the opportunity to actually move my body and like shake myself out of my normal routine mm-hmm. in like a fun, joyful, um, light way, like I feel like that ripples out like this this vital energy that you're speaking to. Mm. Um, so that was... That's what I thought.
0: of. There was, there was something else I was going to ask. I can't remember what it was. But another thing, uh, what's been like the most unexpected difficulty of parenting?
4: Mm.
1: I think I never expected myself to lose my patience as much. Okay. <laughs> I honestly think... Um, my parents always told me I was a really patient child because my little sister was kind of a pain in the butt. And I was always like just really patient with her. Um, so they would, so I always had this in my head that like I'm this patient person and, and people tell me like, you're such a patient parent. I'm like, am I really? Okay, thanks. <laughs> um, but you know, there's just like, I don't, and Maestro always said like being, your, being a parent is your meditation now. And like, I really didn't get that until my kids were like three, four, five and had multiple of them. And, oh my gosh, like it is so the meditation practice, like in the moment when, because they will push your buttons and they.
0: Like self-regulating. Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Like I think just having moments that feel so, um, frustrating and, like, anger, in- potentially anger-inducing, especially, like I said, when there's multiple of them and they, like, feed off of each other. For me, like, <laughs> I can feel myself going, like, okay, of course I'm trying to cultivate this awareness of, like, okay, I could go this route of, like, completely lose it or I could go this route of, like, take a deep breath and maybe I didn't just walk away or, like, you know, get silly or find some different approach but I think that has been probably the most challenging is just having many many moments of just feeling like I have to use every bit of my power to maintain um you know being calm not even calm but to bring forth that like compassion and that unconditional love and maybe it comes in a way that's like through firmness and, like, creating boundaries, but to not, um, yeah, to not lose it, I guess.
0: I I have an interesting uh, experience of this. Um, I have only a limited experience of it. Mako is a little over two. Um, But, like, you know, the moments where you find yourself all of a sudden grappling and wrestling with, like, anger frustration, how to handle something that happens that you're upset about. Um, while no one wants to feel that way for obvious reasons, um, I've found that there's actually something like therapeutic and medicinal about it because like if you're, what happens I think when people aren't pushed and challenged and like, uh, there isn't friction in their life is they become really neurotic. And totally like stressed out about things that just don't matter at all. (laughs) Like things that are like, oh my God, the dishes, like where they're, they're taking the part of themselves that is really deep and connected to bio survival. And like, you know, the animals coming to eat me and, and there's nothing serious happening in the environment. They project that onto these things that are totally trivial, first world problems you
1: just like shed light on something that i've been wondering
0: about but but then when the child does something and it triggers that really deep part of you that just gets angry you're able to feel that and if you're able to like consciously wield it in a way that isn't destructive towards you or the other person i find there's actually something kind of therapeutic because it like rebalances your system where you're no longer like getting neurotic about something totally trivial yeah
1: Yeah. Interesting. I hadn't thought about it in that way, (laughs) but, um, yeah. And I think, I think the piece to me that is really important about that is like to not get stuck in that place. Definitely. And I think that's the thing that I'm also really working on is like, okay, I was just like about to, I was at like nine and a half there, like about to lose it. And like two minutes later, A minute later, if the kid falls down and gets hurt, can I just, like, hold them and love them with, like, Uh pure open-hearted and just completely forget about how much they were just driving me crazy two seconds ago? And I think for me, like, that's been – it's, like, coming back to that presence again and just, like, not letting those things stay stuck.
0: Yeah, I like, I think that I kind of am at a point uh, where prior to having kids, I felt like it wasn't okay to get angry about certain things. Like, you just shouldn't get angry. And I'm starting to understand now, like it's impossible not to get angry if you have a kid. I think, but it's not about whether you get angry or not. It's about how you then like handle the emotion. Because if you take it and you're like able to channel it into something that uh, is responsible and helps teach the child a lesson, teach yourself a lesson, and you know you manage it in the right way, it's okay. Um, And at that point, it could be therapeutic. Of course, if you do something destructive, like obviously that's not okay. But um, just sharing that for myself, like, having a child has been, like, an education that, like, emotions are okay. Like, certain emotions that are, like, society says are not okay, they are okay. It's just what you do with them and how you handle it. So
2: Yeah, and I think that's the best thing that you can teach children, teach toddlers. There's so much out there of, like, oh, no, you're not allowed to be mad. Like, right. you, you have to share everything with your friends and whatever. But teaching them that, like, it's totally okay to have those emotions and... I'm not going to let you put them on someone else in this way. Like you also mm-hmm. need to learn how to take responsibility for that.
0: That's interesting because you, you are the example for them as to how a human being should be. Yeah. And it's almost like a necessity to show them that like also making mistakes is like, okay. Mm-hmm. Cause they're going to make mistakes and they need to know when they do it, that they're not like, you know, some freak that is totally an outlier and everyone else is perfect. Yeah. So you need to be making mistakes in front of them on some level to demonstrate to them that when they make mistakes, it's okay. Mhm.
2: Yeah, I think that so far the biggest challenge of parenthood for me has been figuring out how to balance being a mother and being myself. Uh huh. Um, this is something that I talked about on our most on our most recent podcast episode with Stacey Ramsauer about how children are not our work. Like our work is our work and our children are our children. And maybe that work is a job, maybe that work is just like growing into yourself. Maybe that work is a passion of yours. But I can see, I could see how it would be really easy for me to just pour all of myself into my child Mm -hmm. and be like this martyr mother who takes care of his every need and is like totally present and there for him and not for myself. And on the other hand, I could see how I could be like super workaholic. I need to do this thing. I have a mission in life and I'm going to change the world. And, you know, good luck, kid. Go eat some Pop-Tarts or whatever. <laughs> and either one of those feels so much easier than holding both, than being present for him, being his mother as a priority and not losing myself, not neglecting myself, not thinking of myself only as a mom. Mm.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I totally agree. That's definitely mm-hmm. that's definitely an interesting balance of like figuring out what it is that you feel called to do and then also raising the child and like understand there's a sacrifice. You can only do so much compared to what you're doing prior. Yeah. Um so kinda of getting to the end here. Uh, are there any closing thoughts or anything else that you guys want to share? No rush. Um about the program, about things that are coming up. You guys are mentioning that maybe there'd be a discount. For people who listen to this podcast, how would people access that discount?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, we can make a code. We could just make it Bodyspeak if you'd like.
0: That sounds good. One word, lowercase? Sure. Okay.
2: <laughs> you can put it in your show notes and all that. Okay, cool. Um, um,
0: anything else you guys want to share about it?
2: Let's see. So we're launching towards the end of March. Hopefully Um, we originally had this as like a five week in person course. You Mm -hmm. took it then. That was really great. Um, But we've made it now totally online and you could still go through it in five weeks or you could go through it in five days if you only wanted to get specific parts of it, or you could dive really deep and like look over everything for a year. Mm -hmm. So it's totally self paced and up to you how into it you want to get. And as we mentioned also this community this connection aspect feels so important because we really believe that this kind of work can change the world That this isn't just about like oh have birth at home because home birth is great but that growing into yourself as a mother into your own power as parents and bringing souls to earth in this way has world-changing life-changing potential Hmm um but that without this connection without this community without this collective aspect it's just so much harder to make those changes so we do have this monthly call and this community that we're hoping will be engaging um and we're just really looking forward to connecting with everyone who is feeling called do this work
0: i i did take the course in 2021 right Cause, but that was that the yeah. exact same course that's gonna because it was like a that was sort of like a test that you guys did for people in the community
2: It wasn't the exact same. That was, like, the the prototype.
0: It was awesome, though, just to, like, just to give you guys feedback. The amount of stuff that I learned and I was like, wow, I'm super ignorant on so many of these things. Like, I don't think I was a person that was, like, afraid of childbirth at all. Mm -hmm. I mentioned I was a little worried for Echelle at that one moment. But, um, like, in all transparency, I was just like, okay, I really don't know anything. And, like, it was very, very helpful to take it, Mm -hmm. which is why I was very happy to have you guys come here and share all the knowledge. Mm -hmm. So. Um, this
2: has just been so much fun to talk to you also. Like, yeah. We used to live together. I used to live in your house. I know. We don't get to talk as much.
0: Yeah. this, this it, That's why I created this this podcast. I was like, I, my part of the mission that I want to do is I wanted to interview every single person in the community about something they're passionate about.
3: That's awesome.
0: And I'm really grateful you guys came here because I needed to like reinvigorate it. Mm-hmm. Traveling a lot last year in my podcast, I did like a quarter of the episodes I've done in the past. So mm-hmm. thank you for coming and getting it back in motion.
3: <laughs> yeah, of yeah. course.
1: Yeah, just second everything Mabel said about the course. Um, yeah, I think I'm just also so excited to engage and interact with women in the world and and see the way that this really. Hi oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby. That's awesome. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um,
4: That's really funny. Yeah, and it's
1: also just been super fun sharing and like diving deep into, mm-hmm. you know, life, pondering life. So thank you, Jerry, and. Yeah. Let's, let's
0: do more. <laughs> yeah, let's totally let's make it a regular thing um as you guys have more things that you feel you want to come on and talk about. I I feel like it's a really important thing. Um I mean, raising kids, it's like that's you really want to change the world? Like mm-hmm. that's a really good place to start. Mother Teresa said, you know, someone asked her what people do to create peace in the world and she's like, "Go home and love your children." Mm-hmm. So, uh I appreciate the knowledge you guys are sharing cuz I have a lot of things I want to learn about it. So, um any other closing thoughts?
2: No. We've also, we've been thinking about resources for dads and partners in birth, um, and we would love to do, like, a, a dad panel with all the community. On the Papa podcast? About. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, well, what's great is Ishelle is pregnant, and I'm really only traveling one place this year, at least at the moment, so I want to make some time. Let's find some time to do that. Yeah. maybe
2: uh, like you could do a a dad parenthood panel on your podcast and we could do an episode on like fathers at birth sounds
0: good cool okay well thank you guys for coming thank you people out there for listening uh (laughs) hope it's been educational cat skills birth collective it's it's online website Mm -hmm. you can find right and with mabel and sarah and uh yeah peace